Well, good morning. Um, we're going to talk about a proper perspective today, and that could mean a lot of things. Um, first, I'd like to share just when I was a kid, I think we, we've all been part of a team of some type through our lives, right? Um, whether it was marching band or military, um, I played ball in high school. So what would typically occur, we would have guys from all walks on our baseball team. We would have the, the motorheads, the potheads, the geeks, the nerds, the preppies, you name it. It was a, it was a broad cross-section of the, um, the entire school population. Now, typically, we wouldn't gather together outside of the baseball team. We wouldn't associate with each other because we had our own different things going on. But when we got on the ball field, none of that mattered. The only thing that mattered was winning the game. So when it came game day, I didn't care if Stuart Pickle had been doing whatever he had been doing, um, as long as he could get the ball across the plate and get outs. I didn't care what Ronnie was doing. He was our cleanup hitter. I didn't care what he had been doing as long as he could drive in runs. Nobody cared that I was the geek, the nerd, um, as long as I caught every ball that came to me in center field. So <clears throat> all that to say is the proper perspective is, was winning the game. And that's true of any, any endeavor we undertake, right? So I, I mentioned marching band. You've got the big performance, you want to go out there and you want to do your best and you want to make it sound good and, and um, get the crowd involved. In the military, I, you know, the, the mission was the mission, right? Going out, win. That was the thing. You didn't care what the other guys did as long as they pulled their weight. So well, as we look at today and the Apostle Paul, um, it's important to know what his perspective was. And we're going to be looking at uh, Philippians 1, 12 to 18. But we have to go forward one verse to, or two, three verses to Philippians 1.21. And we see that, did I just turn it off? What, what's that? Okay. No, uh, the, uh, the clicker. Can you advance one for me? I'll figure this out. So, so Paul's um, perspective, his, his main goal and I would say that he tells us to imitate him as he imitates Christ. The one goal of Paul was spoken in verse 21. For me to live is Christ. Everything about Paul was about Christ. So, and then, you know, if unfortunately something had happened to, to Paul, um, he says that for me to live is Christ, but then to die is gain. So one way or another, he was going to be, he was going to win, I guess would be the way I would say it. Um, and so that's important perspective to keep as we go through everything in life. Well, just to give you some setup for Philippians 1, Paul had been to the church at Philippi, he had established the church at Philippi some 11 years prior to writing to them this, this epistle. Um, in, that, in that early stages, they had developed such a great bond and friendship with one another over the ensuing 11 years. The Philippian church had continued to support Paul's ministry work financially, um, sending people to help with the mission. Um, there was a, a tremendous bond. Well, as we come to Philippians 1 here, um, Paul now is in, been imprisoned in Rome. He's, he's in a Roman prison, um, and he's writing to the church of Philippi. And so that's the setup for the story where we find Paul. So his, his whole goal, his whole, whole purpose is to, uh, to preach Christ uh, and 
in, with that mindset, he had been in Philippi, he had encouraged them, they had built a church, and he's writing to the brothers there at Philippi. So, um, again, 11 years had passed, they'd supported him, and here we are now in uh, AD 61, Paul is in prison for, as he puts it, proclaiming the gospel of his pri- uh, Christ. So his point in the letter is to encourage the Philippians to continue, continue in the work that he had begun and to be bold and unified in their mission. Um, he urges them to be concerned not so much with who is proclaiming the gospel, as we'll see in a second, not so much that who, but that it is being proclaimed. So um, as we open up Philippians 1, 12 to 18, again, we find that Paul is in a decidedly difficult situation. Um, he's been commissioned by God for a purpose. We know that he was appointed as the apostle to the Gentiles to go to the um, heathen nations and proclaim Christ, the good news of Christ. Um, so that was what he was appointed to do. And now, like we, we've already seen, he is now sitting in a, a Roman prison where he's been sidelined. Or has he? Has he been sidelined? Well, we'll find that God is still working through him to accomplish God's purpose, and that's the proclamation of the gospel. So again, uh, you'll hear me say it over and over again, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we've all been given that same mission, the mission of reconciliation. Um, It's difficult enough to share our faith in normal circumstances, isn't it? The sense of uncomfort, discomfort, just not knowing how other people are going to respond. Well, how will we do when it really gets difficult then? We've been blessed in this country to have some freedom. We don't face persecution. For the most part, people will listen to us when we speak. But what happens when that changes? What happens when we become, God forbid, like China, where you can't openly profess, or one of the Middle Eastern countries? What will we do? Well, what enables other believers in the other parts of the world to continually and faithfully proclaim the gospel is the same thing that enabled Paul, and as he encourages the Philippians, the same thing that they will encounter. So again, today as we examine the text, we're going to see that Paul wrote of the importance of a proper perspective in keeping the Philippian on, uh, church on task and on target. Um, we'll, we'll find that the proper perspective keeps the Christian church on task and on target. And the question is, how does that occur? So let's find out. Let's read Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I'm not working, gang, I'm sorry. So I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having some conf- become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, thank you, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let's pray. 
Uh, Lord God, as we gather this morning, I just pray that these words take root. God, that we keep a proper perspective that to live is Christ and that we rejoice when the gospel is presented, that we rejoice in our part in presenting the gospel. So Father, as usual, I just pray for my mouth that I not be a distraction in stumbling and stammering, but also, Lord, that your word finds fertile field in this congregation, that we have ears to hear and hearts to receive, not just learning new facts, but that it truly takes root and transforms us, encourages us, encourages us and emboldens us. So we commit this time to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, so a proper perspective again. The first, the first one we'll look at is um, that it keeps the church on task and on target when we face difficult circumstances. So again, what's the, what's the proper perspective? Well, as Paul found out, and as we, we will find out in our lives, difficult circumstances help provide a platform and an audience for the advancement of the gospel. I want to read verse 12, and I can't. Gang, I'm sorry. So Paul wrote, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Well, we find that Paul is in prison, and we find that what has happened to him has served to advance the gospel. Well, that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? That you're a prisoner. Well, if you remember your history, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, it was, it was by providing peace and safety and stability that information and commerce could spread easily throughout the Roman Empire. But God doesn't always work the way we think he should. He doesn't always work to our understanding. Remember, God said through Isaiah that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, again, the, the Apostle Paul discovered this to be true amid his difficult circumstance. He has, again, apparently been derailed from his mission to proclaim the gospel. But again, has he? Well, we know from Romans chapter 1, verses 9 to 15, that Paul had an intense desire to eventually get to Rome, but, uh, to Rome, but he had always seemed to be blocked getting there. I imagine he was getting a little frustrated at times, having this intense desire to go somewhere to preach the gospel, and the Lord constantly setting roadblocks in his way. But now we find out Paul's in Rome, not the way he would have chosen it. I don't know anybody in their right mind that wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to go to prison so that I can preach the gospel. No one would think that. But yet that's exactly where Paul finds himself. Not only is he in Rome, and we think of him as the captive, he has a captive audience, doesn't he? The word being chained to his captives, the, the word for chain, basically he's handcuffed to a Roman guard day and night. Now, that sounds terrible too, but I want you to imagine Paul. Unfortunately for us and for the Philippians, they had experience with Paul in prison, so they knew what he was doing. So in Acts chapter, sorry, can you go to one more? Acts chapter 16, 
Another one? Thank you. Acts chapter 16, you may be familiar. Paul and Timothy had stirred up such a ruckus in, in Philippi that they were in prison. And what do we find them doing? The crowd joined, oh, okay, so they had been attacked, they'd been put in uh, prison, and they'd been ordered to be beaten. So they, they were in a tough situation again. Next one. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the pr prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. When the jailer woke, and uh, okay, so they singing psalms and praying, and the other prisoners listened to them. So now we know what Paul did in prison in Philippi. Now just picture the guard chained to him, listening to him singing and praying psalms, hearing the gospel from the Apostle Paul 24-7. I can only think that just as the Philippian jailer, when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And he took them the same hour, going forward a couple of verses, and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. I think I left out a couple of verses. Can you go one more just so I make sure? Yeah. So verse 27 in Acts 16, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 33, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Paul had a captive audience. He presented the gospel. He was bold about it. It was part of who he was. It, it came out. He didn't sit and wallow in prison like I think I would do. Woe is me. My freedom has been taken from me. Um, this is horrible. This is uncomfortable. No, Paul kept a proper perspective in the midst of difficult circumstances and presented the gospel. And the scripture says that um, his, his chains served to advance the gospel so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. These guys were the toughest of the tough. These are the guys that are assigned to the palace to protect the, um, um, I guess it would be Herod at the time. Um, they're the toughest of the tough. They get the, they get the hard assignment. And all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Not only did it spread to the imperial guard, the one that was chained to him, it, obviously 720 days, I believe it was, he's in prison. That's a lot of guards that heard Paul praying, singing psalms, preaching the gospel. Uh, and then it spread throughout the palace. So Paul, there's no doubt, again, that the, the word was spread and, and the gospel was presented. Um, and it, it was an audience that would probably not have otherwise been reached. Paul could have gone to Rome. He could have stood on the street corners. He could have gone to synagogue like he would normally do. Um, but these are the elite. These are the people in power that would probably not have been reached, at least not quickly. Now, I want you to think back through your church history with me for a second, because throughout scriptures, God has used other sufferings to advance the gospel. Um, I won't touch on all of them, but we think of jo uh, Joseph, right? Sold into slavery by his own brothers, uh, imprisoned, uh, falsely accused of rape, and yet God used him to save an entire nation uh, later on and to influence the Egyptians. Uh, we think of Noah, the preacher of righteousness. Now, I'm going to get to this later, but I want you to picture and imagine what was being asked of Noah, 
right? An evangelistic effort. Build a giant ark in the middle of a desert. Uh, you're a senior citizen. Um, you're ridiculed and scorned by friends, family, and everyone else who heard about your harebrained project. But you know what it did? It gave them an opportunity to preach the gospel. As they came and they ridiculed and they mocked, he had an opportunity to proclaim, the end is coming, you need to repent. Consider Daniel and his friends. I've never been in a lion's den with a bunch of hungry lions. Uh, but when he walked out of there unharmed, can you imagine the impact that had on the king and those who saw it? His friends in the fiery furnace, the same situation. What, is that me? I just won't move. <laughs> so again, a proper perspective, right? Uh, it's easy when we're in tough spots to, to throw up our hands, feel bad for ourselves, wonder what God's doing, but God has a purpose. It's just a matter of we're willing to trust him and submit him. And I'm not saying it's easy. Again, I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh boy, I can't wait to go to prison. Or I hope somebody throws me in a fiery furnace today. I don't do that. I don't think any of us do that. But it's an opportunity to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to a unique audience. Each opportunity was a chance to glorify God as he displayed his own greatness in difficult circumstances. The biblical account goes on and on. We know them, Job, Jacob, David. And then it continues in, even into the New Testament. The Lord scattered the huddled disciples from Jerusalem through persecution. And they dispersed through the entire world, proclaiming the gospel. If they're like me, I don't like leaving the comfort of my own house and my couch. It's comfortable. But God's persecution serves a purpose. We need to keep the proper perspective as he does his work. Think about the example of Jesus himself and the suffering he endured. A real-life example, then, most of us know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, who suffered an accident while diving that left her quadru quadriplegic. Again, like most of us, she could have wallowed in self-pity, but she came to accept her disability, and she began to use it to minister to others suffering through the similar difficult circumstances. She made a decision to use her plight as a platform to reach Christ. I was reading and she says of herself, she said she stopped, learned to stop asking why and to begin asking how. How could she use her circumstances to present the hope of Christ to a new audience? How could she use her platform to proclaim the gospel? So she began a ministry whose stated aim is to present the hope of the gospel to people affected by disability through programs and outreaches around the world. I think all of us have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. I think it's safe to say that she's succeeding in her mission. I think we humans are sort of a bizarre bunch. Uh, we get so distracted, or maybe we're not bizarre. It's easy to get distracted by everyday events that sometimes it requires extreme measures to get our attention. So we find that the stories of those triumphing and overcoming adversity, they stir our souls, don't they? How do they do that, we wonder? How are they able to persevere in such difficult circumstances? 
I think God uses these stories to motivate us to do better, to, to be better than what we are. They inspire us to want other people to take courage and inspiration from us, should we ever, again, God forbid, find ourselves in difficult circumstances. So Paul's circumstances serve to advance the gospel. I think further, his testimony, not only did it serve to advance the gospel among the imperial guard and those in the palace, but it also served to um, give the church at Philippi to help them to take courage. Sometimes we want to fill in the blank when there's silence. So Paul, while he's in prison, he could have been silent. He could have not written to the church at Philippi. And then they would have been left to wonder what's going on with Paul. Is he a coward? Is he not sharing his faith? Uh, we, can, we can imagine circumstances. We can ascribe motives. And I think that's why Paul says, I want you to know, brothers. I think his testimony is so important because the Philippians heard directly from Paul that he was not sidelined. He wasn't out of commission because he was in jail. He was not wallowing in misery, but he was there continuing in boldness to proclaim the gospel and that people were still coming to the Lord because of his ministry. I hope this helps you. It helps me uh, to stay on task and on target in the midst of difficult circumstances. God does not waste anything. I was reminded of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1.4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. So, and here's the key, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I think that's important to note. He comforts us in our affliction. We have his promise, and that should give us some courage. Our suffering allows us to minister to others. It gives credence to our message. If Paul had wallowed in prison, there's no reason that the imperial guard would have listened to him. But he took courage in God and he, he continued to share the gospel message with those around him. Our difficult circumstances can open unexpected audiences to us so that they hear the gospel, the good news that Christ came to save us, rescue us from our sins, and promise of eternal life. Now, you might be the next Johnny Erickson Tata, beginning a ministry born of suffering meant to encourage others to give hope to those who are suffering. You may not, but God has a purpose for you. And when the time comes, I just pray for boldness for all of us to take that perspective of God's mercy and his comfort and take courage and proclaim the gospel. Because when everything spirals out of our ability to control it, the question is, what will we do? And it, again, it's more than a rhetorical question. What will you do? Will we try harder? Will we curl up in a fetal position and quit? Will we curse and scream or become angry? Or will we turn to God, who has made these promises and trust Him in the middle of our fiery furnace? Now, I can almost hear the Apostle Paul as he's in chains. Um, we, read, we read earlier that Paul had already viewed himself as a prisoner of sorts. So he views himself as a bondservant of Christ. He didn't need the chains to remind him that he was serving Christ. With a man with no rights of his own, 
only what's given to him by his master, Jesus. I think it's obvious that this enables Paul to encourage others to offer themselves as a living sacrifice. I think it's his devotion and that mindset that enables him to do that. And again, the simple question is, do we see ourselves as prisoners of Christ? Our reasonable service. Sorry. For now. Um, uh, you, you hear me say, I, you know, I may have a handful of verses memorized, but one of them is Romans 12.1. Uh, Offer ourselves a living sacrifice. That's an, a reasonable act of service in view of what Christ has done for us. And that, that proper perspective then is to proclaim the gospel in season and out. We are a re- royal priesthood that has no rights given other than those given to us by our maker. So again, for simple application for this point, I just ask a few questions. Um, some of them I've already asked, but first and generally, are we focused on the temporal or the eternal? Are we focused on our job, our hobbies, our success, even our comfort, our downtime? And I just ask this because I know these are temptations for me, and I'm not too unusual or unlike the rest of you. Or are we focused on the position as an ambassador for the king? Just take a minute to ask yourself, how much time do I spend with Jesus and the word and the work of his kingdom versus me time? The time I spend on worldly pursuits. Only you can answer that question. Only I can answer it for myself. Uh, But your response will tell you how well you're doing at seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Secondly, and more specifically, and probably more challenging, how do you view the possibility of being imprisoned, of suffering serious health crisis? Do you view it as off-putting or as an opportunity? Would you view it as a disruption to your life or as an opportunity and an opening for your real work? So we saw that difficult circumstances help us to keep focused. Next, a second perspective of Paul's that will help us to stay on target and on task, and that's when we face difficult people. Um, So just like difficult circumstances provide us an opportunity, difficult people provide an atmosphere in which a believer has to learn how to trust in God, the goodness and sovereignty of God. We find two groups of people in verses 15 to 17. First, we have the Philippian brothers and sisters who were conflicted emotionally um, at the news of Paul, their friend, their spiritual leader, um, when they heard that he's in prison. You know, what's going on? There's, there's some concern for Paul, a question of what should we do? What is he doing? But then there's also a, a group, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put in here for the gospel. That's the Philippians. But some indeed pe- preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Who are those people? What are they doing? What's the envy and rivalry all about? Well, some believers preach the love out of Christ. The fact that they were emboldened to proclaim the gospel infers that they had um, been fearful probably previously. So again, Paul's testimony gives courage. Hearing of Paul's faithful witness even while in chains, motivates the Philippian church 
to courage and to continue the mission that he had given them. Then there's another group. Paul doesn't criticize or condemn them. He just makes an observation that they're proclaiming Christ from selfish motives. And he rejoices simply that the message is being preached, not focusing on the who, but that it is being preached. The question, though, then comes up, what harm are they trying to cause Paul? And in what ways are they trying to inflict him? Now, there's a variety of opinions uh, and motives ascribed to these individuals. I think it's best if we just focus on two. Um, For some, they're preaching Christ for their own profit or their own gain. And they look at Paul being out of the way, a very influential preacher, as an opportunity to them for a vacuum for them to fill and possibly to gain more prestige, more finances, whatever the case may be. So it's an opportunity. The second option is that they, they just simply didn't like Paul. They were jealous of him and they were happy to have him in prison again out of the way. Um, so jealousy, personal animosity. Um, but either way, Paul's response is, so what? The gospel was, is being proclaimed. That was his focus. That was his perspective, that the gospel be proclaimed regardless of who's doing it. Now, Paul recognizes tendency for people to elevate their favorite preacher or teacher. We all do that. We have our favorites. That's fine. Um, 1 Corinthians 3.37 says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Apollos, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So again, it's fine to have our favorites. That's great. We resonate with different preachers and different styles. The problem becomes when we start denigrating other preachers for their gospel efforts. It's the work of God through faithful people. I heard the story uh, about D.L. Moody once. It's an older story. I'm sure you heard it, but it goes like this. One day, a lady criticized D.L. Moody for his methods of evangelism in attempting to win people to the Lord. Moody's response was, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me how you do it. The lady replied, I don't do it. Moody retorted, then I like the way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. So... There's no proper way of preaching the gospel. The importance, as Paul is showing us, is that it gets preached. Preach the gospel. Who are we to condemn and criticize another's methods of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and the salvation available through him? Rather than criticize and condemn, rather than being jealous of another's work or defense about our own ministries, let's celebrate that the gospel is being preached. I heard another story. I won't mention who it was because as soon as I say the name, you're going to shut down, and I wouldn't recommend his theology. However, he, the story's told he's in a city at 3 a.m. He had just flown in. He's hungry, and all he can find is this greasy bar-like diner. Um, as he's sitting there, it becomes obvious that it's populated by prostitutes coming in off the street after their shifts, for lack of a better word. It's a little uncomfortable. I don't go to bars. Many of us don't. I don't 
hang around prostitutes. Most of us would be very uncomfortable. And yet, as he's sitting there, he hears one of them tell a, a friend, friend, co-worker, um, that tomorrow's her birthday. So he has this idea. And she says, I've never had a birthday cake. So he has an idea. Tomorrow I'm going to come back. We'll celebrate her birthday. Well, they come back the next morning, and she's, she's flabbergasted. She's amazed. No one's ever done this before him, before for her. And he, he mentions that God loves her. Well, the bartender listening to all this is, is slightly affronted, a little angry. I didn't know you were a preacher. What church do you go to? And he, he says, well, it, it gives him an opportunity then to present Christ. I go to a church that believes in reaching lost people with the gospel, enabling them to have eternal life with Christ. He gets to share the story because he takes a birthday cake to a bar to a prostitute. Now, again, I don't hang out in bars. I don't hang out with prostitutes. But I'm not going to criticize his method for doing that. Um, we can find people in all walks of life, in all places. It's the question is just what lengths will we go to? What lengths are we willing to go to to share the love of Christ? Will we go to prison? Will we visit prostitutes? Will we go to the homeless? Will we go to the, a distillery, knowing that you're going to get criticized? By some people. It didn't affect Paul. It shouldn't affect us. Go where the people are. Preach Christ. That's the proper perspective. Again, know that you'll probably face criticism by some for being faithful to preach the gospel. That's not your problem. Your problem, your, your task is obedience to proclaim. And again, a newsflash, not everyone's nice and I'll put that in quote, or has your best interest at heart. Some people will mock you and your beliefs. Some will mock your efforts. D.L. Moody found that out to be true, too. Others will mock your, uh, your method or your, even your success in ministry. Some people can't help but measure their ministry against others as well, causing jealousy and competition instead of cooperation. What is it that keeps us from reaching out and proclaiming the gospel to difficult people? What keeps us from celebrating others who are proclaiming the gospel? They don't have the proper perspective, I think. The pers perspective Paul encourages that Christ be proclaimed regardless of who is doing it. To live as Christ. Even Jesus spoke on this issue. He and his disciples had come across others casting out demons, and they asked, not a part of their group, and they asked if they should try to stop them. Does anybody recall Jesus' response? He answered, the one who is not against us is for us. Proclaim the gospel. Stories of people who witness because of, because of or in spite of other difficult people do the same thing Christ or Paul's imprisonment, did they encourage and they embolden others to do the same thing and to continue to share Christ? Well, for the sake of time, I'll skip a few pages. How's that? So, three perspectives. First two are. Proper perspective keeps the church on task and on target when facing difficult circumstances, when facing difficult people, and when facing difficult emotions. There are times where we will not feel led 
or feel like sharing Christ. There will be seasons of pain due to loss. There will be seasons of weakness due to illness. And if we haven't already encountered them, you will. The church at Philippi experienced a sense of loss with Paul's imprisonment. They had to be more than a little confused and saddened as their friend, the great apostle, appeared to be taken out of the game. Rather than being defeated by his imprisonment, however, they rallied around one another. They rallied around their love and concern for Paul. They were emboldened by a common cause. They gained courage as they watched the steadfastness of their brother in the midst of his own difficult circumstances. They, like Paul, rejoice that the gospel continued being preached regardless of their circumstances or their feelings. In fact, it emboldened them to continue to reach the city of Philippi. I'll close with this story. In 1956, we're all familiar with a, a missionary, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was murdered by the very tribesmen to whom he had gone to proclaim the gospel. He left behind his widow and one small daughter. In spite of her grief and pain, Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, stayed to finish the mission and to make sure the message of Christ was proclaimed. Not only was the message proclaimed, and again, in spite of her own grief and loss, Elizabeth continued to proclaim the gospel to the very people who killed her husband. She was so faithful to God, and she was so faithful to her mission, and because of her faithfulness, many of the tribe ended up accepting Christ. But in addition, because of her courage and the strength she exhibited, her own daughter's faith did not waver. In fact, the daughter and her husband also spent time in the mission field. God gives comfort and strength to his children to accomplish the mission for which they are called. We've already looked at 2 Corinthians 1.4, but I'd like to take another look at it and just be reminded, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. We can expect that in the midst of our pain that God will comfort us and enable us to continue with the task of proclaiming the gospel. And in fact, use the comfort which we receive to reach others. We saw that with Johnny Erickson Tata. God will do that, but we have to stay focused to the mission. This time the emphasis is not on the result of God's comfort so that we may comfort others, but simply to linger on the promise that he confirms, uh, conf comforts us in all our affliction. He cares. I was reminded of Psalm 46, one through three. The psalmist encourages us with words, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. He's near and he desires to strengthen and encourage us through loss and pain. Again, sometimes we will not feel like preaching the gospel because of our painful emotions. It's un unrealistic, it's uncaring to say, just set it aside. We will suffer loss and pain. Take a moment, experience it. But then when the days come, preach anyway. Take the focus off of ourselves and focus on the one who loves us and will use our obedience for his glory and our good. Again, it's not possible on our own. It's impossible on our own. We can't do it. We need the Holy Spirit to strengthen from within. We need to stay in the Word, and we need to stay close to Jesus. 
Psalm 1 tells us the benefits of the one who's firmly planted in the Lord and meditating on his law. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Again, we may find ourselves in the midst of spiritual and emotional drought from time to time, but the one who clings to the Lord will not wither. We can't exude good cheer in the midst of sorrow and grief and pain. Again, that's unnatural. We can, however, cling to the one who is able to carry us through those times. Again, we, we've seen three perspectives that will keep us on task and on target, and we just have to decide what we'll do with these. We have to make up our mind if we are going to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. Since we're working according to his purpose, Jesus will, regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves, work through us to ensure the spread of the gospel. We've seen that God can help us accomplish our mission of reconciliation in three ways, through our circumstances, through difficult people, and through difficult emotions. And again, regardless of life circumstances, regardless of difficult people we encounter, and regardless of the emotions we experience, we're called to proclaim the gospel. It's as simple as that. For me to live as Christ, I pray that as we close today, that's our mindset. We keep that perspective as we leave this place. Lord God, I just lift you up this morning. You've done so much for us. And what you ask is to continue to share the good news, the gospel of Christ, the one thing mankind needs above all else, sickness, wealth, success, all temporary. Only you can save us for eternity. Help us, Lord God, to be bold in our circumstances with people, even through our emotions, and to trust in you. Lord, we just say we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.